We are. We want to nail our colors to the mast around the biblical convictions and beliefs that we have for the local church, and particularly for us right here, Common Ground, Constantiaberg. We want to iterate what makes us, I'm speaking about us as the local church, but also us here at Constantiaberg, what makes us a distinct people? What makes us different from the rest of the world around us? And, and we want to do it in a way that contrasts want to iterate what makes us distinct in a way that contrasts us with the world around us. When we, when we so engage in the world around us, obviously, all the time. And so we want to look at that. We want to say, well, what makes us distinct? Now, on the side, I just want to take a little side road here for a second, get distracted. Um, when I speak about nailing our colors to the mask, I think there may, may be an elephant in the room for some of you. And some of you might be wondering, hey, we've seen Taryn's book on how God sees women. And we're wondering, you know, when are you going to say something about the book? So let me just answer that quickly. Firstly, I don't think I'm going to say anything about Taryn's book. Um, but we do want to say something about this conversation that we've been having as an eldership team about what we believe about women in eldership, very specific question that we've been discussing. And so that, that conversation is going to come your way. Truth be told, as an eldership team, we need a little bit more time to have conversations within ourselves before we come to you. That's the only reason why I haven't said anything up till now. So I'm going to park that right there. We do know that it's a, it's, a, it's a relevant conversation, it's an important conversation, but yeah, we need your understanding and your patience with us. The other reason I'm really excited about this, com this uh, series, This Is Us, is because of the shift that's happened within Common Ground. Uh, within common, ground. Uh, common Ground has shifted from being one church with many congregations to becoming a family of churches. So in other words, every Common Ground congregation has become autonomous, but yet still very closely tied together in this family of churches. It's really good for all of us. It means that as an eldership team, we get to give expression, uh, you know, just uh, that much quicker and that much more uh, contextualized what God's saying to us, what God's doing amongst us, that we can do the things we feel like God's called us to do while not losing any of the friendships and the support and the wisdom, uh, you know, and the partnership with all the other common ground congregations. So it's a good time for us to be doing this series. Now, last week, if you missed it, I spoke to us about where our confidence lies. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go listen to it. In fact, if you're a, a member, if you're part of this church family, I want to strongly ask you and commend you to go and listen to that. It feels like, in some ways, it was a word from God uh, to us as a local church. So I want to invite you to go and listen to that. The recording didn't work on Sunday, but I did one on Monday, and uh, I hear it came out okay. So give that a listen. This week, I get to focus in on something that we speak about all the time, but perhaps we don't always fully understand, or, or maybe we fully understand, but we don't always take the time to reflect on how that impacts our lives or what that means for our lives. And here's the kicker. It's absolutely central to every Christ follower's life. It's absolutely central. In fact, it defines everything about following Christ. I'm speaking about the gospel. Speaking about the gospel. I mean, we sang about it this morning so powerfully when death was arrested. You know, Christ on the cross, at that moment, death was arrested. 
So this morning, I want to answer two questions. One is, what is the gospel, and how does it define us? If you're not yet a Christ follower, what a great Sunday to be here. I mean, you get to see and hear. I mean, I think there's a lot of versions of the gospel out there that we're going to, of gospels out there. We're going to look at some of those. But, but today you get to hear, what is it? What is this gospel of Jesus Christ? And you're going to hear it's so much. But more than anything else for you, it's an invitation. It's an invitation from a God who loves you, wants to know you, wants to restore you wants to give you a hope and a future. And this morning, my prayer for you is that you would hear the invitation from God to say, come to me, surrender to me. If you're a Christ follower, this is incredibly important for us because we are a gospel-defined people. We are a gospel-defined people. If you know our values as a local church, being gospel-defined is one of the four key values that we feel like in this season of life we're in as a church that, that we're going to put some emphasis on. So later in the year, we're going to do four weeks on this very topic, being gospel-defined. So this morning, I kind of get to give us that, that overview, and we'll get into that a lot deeper. So I want to look at what the gospel is not, first of all. Then I want to look at Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, and see what the gospel is. And then I'm going to speak about three big ways in in which the gospel defines us. We're gospel-identified, gospel-aligned, and gospel-assigned. Okay, let's read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the desires of our sinful nature and and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. This is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. May God bless his words this morning. Let me pray. God, as we continue this morning, we, and as we have been singing and our hearts have been open to you, God, and as we've been led so brilliantly by Joyce and, and Colin this morning, God, that you would speak to us, that you would penetrate our hearts and our minds with your truth, that you would cause us to be stirred. We want to hear your encouragements, your corrections, your opportunities, your invitations, so that we can, piece by piece, little by little, be more and more like you. Amen. So first question, what is the gospel? And I said, I'm going to start by saying what the gospel is not. And I think there's two gospels that are quite prolific, probably in our world today, um, that quite often find their way into the church. So I'm just going to go after those two. They kind of very often blend into our thinking and become part of of how we see ourselves, how we see the world. The first one is the gospel of good works. The gospel of good works. 
I mean, since the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden, there's been a kind of disposition of people to try and make their way back to God, to try and reconcile themselves to people through any means that they can muster, through all the effort that they can bring to the situation. And so in the gospel of good works, salvation, according to this gospel, is that a person can find their way back to God if they really clean up their mess and do enough to prove that they really are a good person. Read here, better than the person next to them. And it manifests in a myriad of ways of how we live our lives. You know, we, it, it could be morality, the way we live morally. It can be philanthropy, personal piety, even religious observance. These are ways that we, that we try and make things right and find peace with God and with the people around us. And, you know, if we really excel, if we really do well, God will be forced to forgive us and restore us. If we really do well, God has, will have no choice but to reward us. It's about ladder climbing to get to God. But the trouble with this gospel of good works is that it brings so much insecurity. And if it doesn't bring insecurity because you don't really know where you stand, I mean, when is enough enough? You know, what is really good? What truly is deserving of forgiveness and restoration? You know, how many times can you get it wrong but still you know, find your way back to God. There's this insecurity. But if there's not insecurity, then there's comparison. And with comparison comes self-righteousness and pride. Thank you that I'm not as bad as Don. This is not the gospel of the Bible. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another gospel that finds its way into our church, and I would say this is probably far more prevalent right now in the church, especially in the West, is the gospel of the good life. The gospel of the good life teaches us that, that we should be pursuing the freedom and salvation that comes as we progress towards the good life. Salvation is escaping the craziness of the world around us and finding this good life. And of course, there are lots of variations of the good life. It can look different for so many of us. You know, we all have our own visions of independence, of self-fulfillment, of success, of achievement that we believe will make us happy, that we believe will make life, you know, worth living, that we believe will give us life and life to the full. I don't know. I'm going to take a swing here for Capetonians. The gospel of the good life, generalizing, it lies in the flexibility and freedom, maybe even autonomy that comes with success and wealth. You know, salvation is throwing off the constraints of expectation and responsibility and being able to kind of just live your life as you want to. This is the good life. It's, it's the message that says when you're able to work where you want, when you want, how much you want, and still get paid for it, that's the good life. Life is worth living. This is what it's all about. It's about being saved from the rat race into the natural beauty of surfing, of hobbies, of exercise, of going to beautiful places. It's answering to as few people as possible, living in a home that's you know, highly protected and safe from crime and danger, but being freed from the limiting expectations and responsibilities into greater leisure, choices, and entertainments. The gospel of the good life. Attain these things and you will be happy experiencing life. So work hard now. Get educated, make the right strategic decisions that are going to get you to the good life, 
and you're going to progress through the mundanity of this life. You'll be saved from insignificance, loneliness, boredom, meaningless, and the mundane. This is the gospel of the good life. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this might sound ridiculous, but there's actually a subtle and compelling version of the gospel of the good life that finds its way very quickly into the life of the local church. It goes something like this. God is primary, primarily love, and we are mostly good. The purpose of life is to be a good person, to find happiness and personal fulfillment. God wants to be your friend, and Jesus wants to help you every step of the way as you realize whatever is in your heart for the good life. This is the, the gospel that many of us could carry. This is not the gospel of the Bible. There was a survey done in the U.S., and uh, we know it's the U.S., it's not South Africa, but I think there's a lot of truth we can glean amongst about 3,000 adolescents. And here are five pillars of truth that emerged that's been called moral therapeutic deism. It's this, a God exists who created and ordered the world and watches over human life on the earth. God wants most people to be good, nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and most world religions. The central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. Good people go to heaven when they die. You know, many years ago, I was speaking to a Christian friend, and she had met someone, and she had really fallen for them, and she was, you know, struggling with this idea of, of you know, should she date them? Uh, you know, she was struggling with the biblical teaching, she kind of knew that she shouldn't be getting into this relationship with someone who, who doesn't know Christ. And in the end, she came to this conviction that, that, of course, God would never allow her to feel so much love for someone, to feel something that felt so right and good, and then want to take it away from her. So God must be giving her to this relationship. Now, that kind of thinking cannot make sense unless you're believing a gospel of the good life that's been sanitized in Christianity. That is not the gospel according to the scriptures, the gospel of Jesus. The good life is temporary at best. Beauty fades, sex stops and grows empty, people disappoint, homes need maintenance, popularity shifts, success can be fleeting. I mean, what happens when your spouse you know, comes to you and you know, it feels right that you know, this person will actually be better suited to me than you? When you feel like that, or what happens when your spouse feels like that about you? I mean, this is the gospel of the good life that we can buy into. Here's a God, here, let, me, let me get into what the gospel is. Here's a definition of the gospel by, by John Tyson and Susie Silk. It's this. The gospel is the good news that God our Father, the Creator, out of His great love for us, has come to rescue us from sin, Satan, death, and hell and to renew all things in and through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, to establish his kingdom through his people in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is for God's glory and our profound joy. Maybe we can leave up the, up, that up there for a little while. You look at some of these phrases. What is the gospel? Well, the gospel is firstly good news. It's news. It, that, that word literally translate, gospel, is good news. 
in ancient times, what would happen is, you know, the war campaign would go out, people would be at home, kind of in castle, in the empire, and news would come back. Someone, you know, a rider would come back, or a party would come back, and declare the good news of the victory that's happened in a foreign land. And say, this victory has happened. These are your rewards. This is what has been conquered. This, this is now your empire. And people, of course, would be huge celebrations. This is good news. This is gospel. It's something that you need to understand. You need to receive and you need to believe it. You can't impact that good news. I mean, it's already happened. The war has already been won. It's, it's happened in a, in a distant time. You don't really get to impact that. You just get to hear about it, take it in, and believe it, and own it for yourself. That's, that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. Secondly, the gospel is about rescuing the lost. So it's good news, and it's about rescuing the, lot, the lost. Outside of being rescued by God... Human beings are lost. Ephesians 2, it says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. I mean, what you're seeing described here is sin that both lives within us, but also this, this power, this person that's at work in the world, in the world systems, in, in politics, in cultures, leading us and causing us to continue to live in that disobedience. Verse 3, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature, following its desires and thoughts. Sounds a little bit like the gospel of the good life to me. You know? Gratifying the desires of our heart, whatever is in us. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Now, this is, is quite an intense passage of Scripture. This text describes all humanity, every person, as a walking and breathing corpse, dead to God, dead to God. It captures the truth that the most vital part of a human, our spirit, is dead to the most important factor in life, God. Our spirit is dead to God, and we're dead because of transgressions and sins, we're dead because of our transgressions. These are missteps. These are acts of disobedience and our shortcomings. It's, it's how we fall short of God's intention for our lives. We fall short of God's creative intent. We fall short of God's own goodness and holiness. And so we're left spiritually dead, having abandoned God's will and design in creating us and our world. We've chosen instead to go our own way. And it explains sin is not only something that lives within us, but also we give expression to it. And it impacts our lives through evil forces in the world that impacts our being, that impacts our desires, that impacts our thoughts and our craving. We are slaves to sin, slaves to the sin within us and slaves to, to the evil that is impacting and influencing the world taking us further and further away from God. Now, I know that, you know, if you're sitting here, you're not yet a Christ follower. Maybe even if you are a Christ follower, in our culture, we can cringe a little bit sometimes when we speak about sin or being lost or someone being dead to God in their sin. You know, we, we like to think of ourselves as generally quite free, you know, instead of captive to, into the ways of this world, slaves 
to the prince of the power of the air. But just stop for a moment and even just reflect on your, your newsfeed over the last 12 to 18 months. You know, you look at the looting, the riots, the political storms, the scandals. It all just reminds us that there's something wrong with the world. There's something wrong in the world. Political powers and cultures, they are not able to save us. They're not able to set us free. They're not able to take us to a place of life and life to the full. There's something wrong with these systems and these cultures. You know, the Bible makes sense of these things. We are dead in our sin and under the power of these worldly systems. It's so different from the gospel of the good life, that we're all okay. You know, generally, we're good. Man, that is just a lie, and that will keep us in bondage. Okay, thirdly, the gospel is about God and what God has done. It's good news, check. It's about rescuing the lost, and it's about what God and what God has done. Verse 4 says, But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It's describing like when Jesus died, we died. When Jesus was raised to new life, we are raised to new life. When Jesus ascended to the right hand of God, we ascended to the right hand of God and are seated there with Him. God did it all in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace verse 8 it is by grace you have been saved through faith we take this good news and we 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 let it go to work in our lives through our faith our trust our surrender as we express to god and this is not from yourselves it is the gift of god the gospel is 100% clear. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. Dead people cannot resurrect themselves. The gospel is the good news that God acted on your behalf. Jesus took upon himself the punishment and consequences that your sin deserved. The gospel is the good news that you can partake in that love through faith, simply by believing, by trusting, and by surrendering to God. The gospel is your good news. His life, his sacrifice, his victory over death becomes your reality, becomes your inheritance, becomes your future and current reality. This is the gospel according to the scriptures. Let me just quickly go through a few others. I'm going to go quickly. The gospel is holistic in its scope. You know, the gospel includes salvation for individuals but, but it also speaks about reconciliation of our relationships with each other. The gospel is about God's kingdom coming. I mean, ultimately, the gospel is about the lordship of Jesus Christ breaking into the world and becoming firmly established through his people that he's creating in the world. It's about God's reign and activity breaking increasingly into the world. The gospel is animated by the Spirit. The gospel doesn't depend on any human effort. It doesn't take special human wisdom or gifts, any kind of morality, philosophy, or strategy. The gospel and its power to transform is brought to life 
in the world and in your life and in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel comes from God. It's accomplished by God. It's animated by God. And it's actually God who awakens our faith, our trust within us to respond to this good news of a great victory that's happened over sin, death, and evil. The gospel, lastly, is a gospel of love. It's a gospel of love. Why has God gone to these extreme lengths and and paid these extreme costs? Only because of his great love for us. The gospel, it's a visible expression of how God feels about you and how God feels about me. It's a visible expression of God's desire to rescue and redeem not only people, but a people. He wants to rescue and redeem and build a people in the world for himself who will reflect his glory and his goodness. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news of the Bible. So let me answer the second big question. How does this define us? You know, earlier I said, hey, when, let's just have a moment of worship and prayer and we can thank God for what he's done in our lives, you know? All these things I've just spoken about now, as we dwell on the gospel, as we celebrate the gospel, as we celebrate what God's done, our worship increases. There's so much to be grateful to God for. God, we thank you for your spirit. God, we thank you that you've made me alive when I was once dead. I thank you, God, and I was powerless to even do anything to rescue myself. You rescued me. Thank you that you've done it all. Can you see how the gospel causes us to truly worship God? And as Christ followers, it's our bread and butter. But sometimes we just don't really reflect on it nearly enough. So how does it define us? Well, the gospel is like a mold. Think of a mold. You know, our lives kind of, as we come to Christ, they kind of fall into this mold and our lives are are reshaped by the gospel. And we take on this new shape. We take on this new significance and this new meaning. It's still us, but radically transformed radically remolded, radically reshaped by the power of God's Spirit at work through the gospel. So three ways. Firstly, we are gospel identified. Now, all of us have a sense of self. All of us have a sense of identity that gives us meaning, gives us purpose, a sense of belonging. And our identities, how we feel about ourselves, how we feel like we fit into the world, how, we, how, how much worth we feel that we have. These are formed by our deepest experiences and most core beliefs about the world, about ourselves and how we fit into the world. Now, for Christ followers, your deepest and most core belief is the gospel. So your identity must be redefined shaped by the gospel. It shapes how we live, how we relate to others, why we live and what we're living for. It all changes because of the gospel. You know, when you think of the gospel of the good life or the gospel of good works, you know, so much of our living is establishing an identity, trying to find ourselves, trying to find an identity, trying to find meaning, find purpose, find worth, to feel worthwhile, to feel like we belong. And if you're lucky, you get to feel a fleeting glimpse of that, but we know it doesn't last. 
It takes so much to maintain and defend any true sense of self you can find in this world apart from God. Listen, the gospel of Jesus doesn't just make you a, a nicer version of yourself or sanitize you to make you, you know, kind of acceptable to come into a church building like this. No, no. The gospel of Jesus Christ radically changes us. 2 Corinthians 5, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. We are new creations in Christ. It's still us, but radically remolded and reshaped and identified by the gospel. You know, we go on an identity level from being those who should be excluded because of our sin to those who have been accepted, not on the basis of our own righteousness, but on the basis of Christ's righteousness. We're not perfect by any means, but you are loved. Always acceptable because of Christ. It also means that you belong. You belong to God, not because you deserve it, but because he chose you and he loves you. And you belong to the family that he's forming. You belong right here to the people of God. It means you have security. This stuff is already true of us. It's good news. It says the old has gone, the new has come. You know, when you put your faith in Christ, this is true of you. It's secure. It can never be taken away. It can never be removed or erased. means we're not spending our time trying to find these things. We're not spending our time trying to find our identity. We've been gifted an identity by the gospel. Is this sounding weird? Is it my voice maybe? Okay, if it gets too weird, just tell me. 1 John 3, 1. How great is the love of the Father. How great is the love the Father has lavished on that we should be called children of God and that is what we are. Identity settled. In the gospel, it's news. It's not just a hope. It's not a fuss bait. It's not a, oh, this is true. Think about for a few moments how this works out for us practically. How does this impact identity? Well, you're a child of God first, then a mother. You're a child of God first, then a grandfather. You're a child of God first, then an athlete or a business owner or a designer or a waiter or a domestic worker. You're a child of God first. You're a child of God first, then a white woman or a black man. You're a child of God first, then a citizen of South Africa. Let me say this for, for maybe one or two of you. Sometimes an event, an experience in our lives can radically shape our identity. You're a child of God first, even if you've experienced a violating crime in your life, an experience or a lie that's taken a hold of your heart, you are a child of God first. Those things do not define you. The gospel of Christ defines you. Think about how it changes how we see other people. You know, they're a child of God before they're poor. They're a child of God before they're a white woman. They're a child of God before they think differently about you on some spiritual matter or some opinion or some political something. You know, cancel culture cannot work in the people of God. You don't cancel your brothers and sisters in Christ. It makes no sense. Your gospel identity is your primary identity. The gospel gifts you a new identity. Christ follower, you are loved, accepted, secure, significant, and you belong as God's child. 
So how do we live this out? Well, we're gospel aligned. Gospel aligned. Let me speak to us kind of first at a, at a church level, and then maybe I can chat to us as individuals. You know, the gospel, it's something we receive. I've said this. We comprehend. We, and then we align ourselves to it. It's news that we align ourselves to. We take in the good news. We believe and accept the good news. And now we live like it's true. That's what it means to be gospel aligned. We don't start our relationship with God in deficit. We don't wake up every morning as Christ followers in deficit, needing to at least do a few things or make a few good decisions or earn a little bit of favor before we can even start. No, no, we wake up secure, belonging, children of God. We're aligning our lives with the gospel, with the truth of the gospel. At a, at a, at a family level, for us as a church, our church is not centered on singing songs. I mean, you guys picked, I know you didn't pick all the songs because Cass is meant to be here, but the songs we sang, our, our, our church isn't about singing or about music, it's about, it's about celebrating the gospel and giving expression to that, and man, the, the songs this morning did that so well. They take us deeper into the gospel, deeper into the truths. The same goes for our preaching. You don't come to church for preaching. You, or the preacher, you come to church as the preacher points you to Jesus and to the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit and the power of God that's at work in your lives. Church isn't all about justice. It's not all about justice, but, but we allow the gospel to shape and, res, and mold our responses to the world that we live in and the people we see around us and the need that's there to meet as God's love stirs our hearts, we are shaped. Church isn't all about family. Family is not at the center of church, but it shapes how we live and how we love and, in, and interact with each other. It's the gospel that's at the center. It's the gospel that, that we're aligning with in all of these things. At a personal level, you know, we orientate our lives around the gospel. We immerse ourselves in the gospel, in your relationships, in your decision-making. You know, this is a good way to think about it. At every moment in your life, every decision, every conflict, any juncture in life, Christ will simply ask, how do I embody and live out the gospel in this moment? How do I embody and live out the gospel in this moment? Should you forgive someone or not? How do you embody and live out the gospel? Should you love or not? Should you seek reconciliation or not? I spoke to someone, um, not even in Cape Town, and there was relational tension between them and the leader of this church. And I, they said to me, oh, I'm never going to go back to that church as long as that guy's there. And I thought to myself, oh, wow, that's not, the, that's not the power of the gospel. I mean, the gospel is about reconciliation. The gospel is about renewal. It's about forgiveness. It's about new life. Jesus teaches and demonstrates us this forgiveness and reconciliation, this finding peace. Should you be generous or not? Well, how do you embody the gospel? How do you love your friends, your scratchy neighbor, your spouse? I mean, you guys did a great job this morning. Everything you spoke to us about, about husbands and wives, was in the gospel. Did you hear that? It's because of Christ's love for us. It's because of how he loves us. It's how he prays for us that we then can do that for our spouse. Luke, Luke Harper in South Penn, he told me a story the, the other day. This lady came to church. She was late. 
And she, was, she came to me often and said, oh, I was late for church this morning. I was so crazy. I was looking for a place to stay. I had made the decision that morning, I'm leaving my husband. I'm out. And I was just quickly trying to find out if I could move into this spot. And in the meeting, God got a hold of my heart. The gospel penetrated my heart, and she went home after church. And we're on a journey of healing and wholeness. The gospel can radically change our lives. We've got to align ourselves with it. If we don't do this, we're never going to be distinct. We're never going to be the salt in life. We're going to lose our fruitfulness. Okay, lastly and short, gospel assigned. A lot of these things throughout the This Is Us series will be expanded on uh, brilliantly. But Ephesians, Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's workmanship, created to do good works, which God prepared in advance. Guys, God knows you. God chose you not only to rescue you, but to include you and assign you, to send you out. You know, the work of the gospel on your life, Paul writes here, it's like, it's like a poem being written or a, or a, a painting of a, of a masterpiece being done. God is not only creating something new in you when you believe the gospel, he's, he's not only making you beautiful, he's also making you useful. He's making you useful. He's restoring to you your purpose in life. And he's freshly commissioning you and sending you to be and do all that he created you for. He commissions us to proclaim the gospel, to spread this good news that God has made dead people come to life again. We're ambassadors, salt and light. As common ground is we understand that we are made new for the sake of others, for the sake of mission. And we'll hear more about that from Colin in a, in a few weeks' time. So we're gospel-identified, gospel-aligned, and gospel-assigned. I want to I lead us into a time of communion. Colin, can you pass me one of those? You should have one of these on your seat when you came in. It's got a, a biscuit on top, which I discovered only recently. And some juice underneath. Thanks, guys. We're going to use this time of communion as a, as a moment of response. So just hang on to this for a moment. Try not to be overly distracted. What's so brilliant about a moment of communion like we're doing now is that it, it, puts, it puts the gospel at the center of our thinking. Right now, we're, we're, we're about to celebrate the gospel. The body of Jesus broken the blood of Jesus spilt, the impact that it's had on our lives. So let's, let's do that. Let's not only take communion, let's put the gospel at the center of our thinking. And I want to ask you a few things to reflect on this morning as we do this. Has the gospel of good works crept into your life as a Christ follower? Have you felt rejected? Do you feel not worthy, unworthy? Do you feel like you need to keep working to earn God's favor? Have you felt overwhelmed in guilt and shame? Are you able in your mind and your heart to shift from this, the focus of failure in your, own, in your own life to victory in Christ's life? It's an act of faith where we let go and we take hold of Christ. It's an opportunity this morning for you to reflect. Say, man, God, I've been, I've been biting on that apple. I want to come back to the gospel. And as you eat and drink in a few moments, that can be your moment with God. What about the good life? Is, is the good life mixed in here? 
with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are you living for God's kingdom or your kingdom? Has your life been swept up into the life and mission of Jesus for his glory and your good? Well, you can answer that this morning between you and God as you celebrate communion together. If you're not yet a Christ follower, the Bible says that actually uh, you shouldn't be sharing in this meal because this meal is, a, is, a, is, is for those who have accepted the good news about Jesus Christ. But this morning could be your opportunity to say, you know what, Don, as you've been speaking, God's been speaking to me. I'm starting to see God's love. I'm starting to realize my need for him. I've been looking in all the wrong places. And actually what I'm looking for is my creating father, the one who loves me, the one who gave himself for me, the one who wants to give me new life, the one who will walk with you, who will fill you with his spirits, who will surround you with family in his church. Your response is to accept it by faith. It's already happened for you. You've got to trust that the death Jesus died on the cross wasn't for only for everyone else. It was for you. God had you in, in, his, in his mind, in his heart. Believe it. Accept it. Surrender and say, you are God. You loved me. You gave yourself for me. And I want to surrender to you. I want your will to become my will. Your desires, my desires. Your life, my life. And as, uh, as this moment goes, instead of enjoying communion, why don't you just say a prayer? Respond to God in your own words, surrendering, accepting. So let's do that now. I'm going to ask the band just to play. We'll have a few moments of silence. Open up and enjoy the the biscuit and then the juice together. We'll take two minutes. It's a great time for you to respond.